0: so many of us as Christians naturally hide from open and vulnerable relationships with our believers. We retreat into ourselves and disconnect from true fellowship. And there can be so many reasons for this. Sometimes it could be because of pride and feelings of superiority. Sometimes it's about fear of being rejected or betrayed. Maybe it's about past hurts or disappointments. Or maybe it's just a simply a false idea of what Christian fellowship should be all about. But whatever the reasons behind it, we, when we wrap ourselves up, when we hide from real connections with others, we miss out on so much of what God wants to do in our lives. And so in our next section, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we're going to read how Paul appealed to these Christians to open up their hearts to him. But this didn't mean that he wanted them to have close, deep and open connections with anybody and everybody. Because in this same section, we'll see he also called them in some way to separate themselves from others. From those who hadn't put their faith in Jesus. So in our relationships, God wants us both to connect and to separate. So we're going to think about how this applies reading our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, down to the first verse of chapter 7. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. If not, just listen on and I'll read it to you. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. We have spoken freely to you. Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between a, the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will live with them and walk, with, walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. A guy called Dr. Brandon. He was a well-known Canadian psychologist who often wrote about marriage. And when he was asked whether there were specific ways in which couples who remain happily in love behave differently from those who don't, his answer was an emphatic yes. He said that couples who stay in love never take their relationship for granted. But they express their affection for each other every day. In a whole variety of different ways. Such as, they frequently say, I love you. They are physically affectionate. They verbalise their appreciation and their admiration. They create time alone together. And they share their thoughts and their feelings. And they confide in each other. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't married But he believed that open-hearted expressions of affection were important in other relationships too. Here he said that he had opened wide his heart to these Corinthians. And that he wasn't withholding his affection from them. Paul wasn't afraid to openly and affectionately express his love for these Christians in Corinth. In fact earlier. He said that he written to them. To let you know the depth of my love. For you. He told them. That he cared for them. That he valued them. That he loved them. He would also spent time with them. Communicating. Talking with them. When he was with them. He spent time teaching them. Then when he he wrote, he wrote at least four letters to them. And as we've seen, his travel plans had been designed around his desire to spend more time with them. Back in chapter 1, we read this verse. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. Paul longed to spend time with these Christians. He'd also shared openly with them. Not just his successes and his triumphs, but also his struggles and his hardships. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we faced, that we suffered. This letter is filled with personal details about his life that he chose to reveal to the members of this church. (coughs) Excuse me. And it wasn't just the bare facts that he told them about. He opened up his heart and he told them how he felt. He talks with such vulnerability about such a wide range of emotions in this letter. Things like joy and grief, distress and comfort, despair and encouragement. He even told them about his tears and about the times when he just thought he just couldn't keep going. But this wasn't some kind of pity party that Paul was on. He wasn't just so wrapped up in his own little world that when he wrote to this church he just wanted to unload onto them all of his troubles. His reason for writing all of this was for their benefit, not for his. As we saw last time, when we were in this, this, this letter, He wrote, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. This was Paul's aim. This was his goal in writing all of this, in sharing all of this. His greatest concern was that they would not follow the teaching of those false teachers that infiltrated this church. His greatest concern was that they would remain true to Jesus. That they would accept the grace of Jesus and that they would live it out every day of their lives. That they wouldn't be drawn away from the truth. But I think what made all of this open-hearted expression of love so incredible was that this was to a church that had caused Paul so much pain and so much disappointment. Maybe you remember back in chapter 2 how we read of his painful visit there. This church should have been one of the first to defend Paul's apostleship because they had benefited so many ways from his ministry. And yet, it was this church that had started to listen to his critics who had questioned his credentials. And who were beginning to reject his message. And yet Paul was still willing to reach out and love to them. He was still willing to be vulnerable with them. He was still willing to open up his heart. Declare his love. Spend his time. Share his feelings. And encourage them in his discipleship. Paul was willing to love those who hadn't really loved him. And all that he wanted in return was for this church to open their hearts to him. Verse 13 we read, As a fair exchange, I speak as to my my children, open wide your hearts also. He didn't want their money or their possessions. He He wasn't interested in position or prestige. All he wanted was that they would love him as he loved them. That they would accept him as he accepted them. That they would care about him as he cared about them. He just wanted them to open up their lives to him. As he had done to them. And this is what God is looking for in his family. An open-hearted, authentic and affectionate love for each other. Remember in the upper room? Jesus said this to his disciples. John 13, verse 34-35 A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Love for each other should be the defining characteristic of our church. It's how we live out our lives as followers of Jesus and as children of God. And this love for each other is not supposed to be some kind of superficial or some nominal or conditional love like the world knows. Rather, it should be the kind of love that Jesus has poured out into our heart. The outrageously, unconditional, unending, undeserved, unlimited love that he expressed at the cross. Probably one of the most challenging verses in the Bible is 1 John 3 and 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So are we willing to open wide our hearts to each other? Are we willing to sincerely love each other? Spend time with each other? Openly share our experiences, the good and the bad? And encourage each other in our discipleship? And forgive each other our faults? Are we willing to deepen our connection with each other? That's what Paul wants us to do. But, of course, the other aspect of this section is our relationship with the world. As we deepen our connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul has urged us to separate ourselves from this world. His key idea is summed up with the command in verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. But what does that mean? Well, some people have taken this idea of separation to mean that we should completely isolate ourselves from everyone who is not a follower of Jesus. But I think it's clear that that is not what the Bible teaches. If you look just in in, in Paul's first letter to this church, in the the book before, the the book that we read from, Paul talks there about unbelievers being present in their worship services. Their worship times together weren't a closed affair, but they were open to visitors coming in. He also talks about accepting dinner invitations from unbelievers. He says if if an unbeliever invites you for a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without without raising questions of conscience. Without asking whether this meat was sacrificed to idols as, as they did in those days. And when he taught about keeping away from people who were living in sexual immorality, he made it clear that he was talking about those who were claiming to be Christians and living in in that way. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, he says, you would have to leave the world. And he even answered their questions about what to do if someone in the church were married to an unbeliever. And he encourages them to stay married if at all possible. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to, to live with him, he must not divorce her. So this teaching is not about isolation. It doesn't mean that we should live in some kind of little holy huddle. Form a, a monastic community cut off from everyone who doesn't follow Jesus. That is not what the Bible tells us. After all, we've just been celebrating that Jesus came to be our Emmanuel. Which means God with us when we were still sinners. And because of the time that he spent with people whose lives were messed up and and living ungodly lives, he was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And as ambassadors of Christ, we've been called to follow in his footsteps. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed this in John chapter 17. My prayer is is not that you take them out of this world. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So we're not called to stay out of this world in isolation. We're not called to cut ourselves off from everybody else who's not a follower of Jesus and just stick with each other. But in some way, we we are called to disconnect from this world. This metaphor seems to come from an agricultural law, which is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It says this, Do not plough with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Now, I've never ploughed with any kind of animal yoked together, so I'm not an expert in this. (coughs) But for some reason, these two animals were not to be yoked together and forced to work in the fields together. Now, the law doesn't give the reason why. So some people have suggested that it was because the ox was classed as a clean animal and the donkey as an unclean animal. Others who have just looked at it very practically and said, well, they have different natures and they're different sizes even. And so it would be unfair to to try and put them together and make them work together. They're not going to work well together. Because they're just too different. And it seems that Paul is taking up this idea. And he's applying it to us. By saying that it is wrong for a believer in Jesus to be intimately connected with an unbeliever. Because through our faith in Jesus, we are just different. Paul emphasised this in five rhetorical questions. Verse 14. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Because of our faith in Jesus. We have been declared righteous in God's sight. By God's grace. Not because we are good people. Not because we are, haven't done anything wrong. But just because we've been forgiven. And so we are different. From those who are still living in their sin. Or what, can, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Jesus as the light of this world has shone into our hearts. And so he calls us to live as children of light. Or he says, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is is another Jewish word for Satan. As Christians, we no longer belong to Satan. Because God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So we're no longer serving Satan. Now we claim Jesus as our Lord. But what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever. Because as we saw again last week, our faith in Jesus has changed everything. Verse Chapter 5, verse 17 of this letter. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. The moment we trust in Jesus, we enter into a new life. And then finally, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? How can those who live to worship the one true and living God agree with those who worship a false god? Whether that's a little statue, or a person, or money, or beauty, or fame, or any other false gods that are in this world. None of this is about us thinking arrogantly that we are better than others. Rather, it's just recognizing that through our faith in Jesus, God has transformed our identity. And so now that we are different, because we are now children of God, we're now citizens of heaven... We're now called to, to serve the one true and living God who lives within us by His Holy Spirit. And so if we're really living out who we are in Christ, if we really are following Jesus wholeheartedly with our whole lives, then we can be yoked together with unbelievers who are not living in that way. We can't walk side by side with them all the way. We can't fully agree with them and the choices that they will make. We can't live totally connected with them. There will always be a pull in different directions because we're heading to different destinations. And we have different standards and different values, different purposes, different plans different lifestyles, different ambitions we have a different Lord and that means that if we try to be fully committed and connected to them then we'll need to end up compromising on our commitment to Christ this is what James warns don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God Anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God, because this world's a whole system, is going in a way in a direction away from God. and if we try and stick with them, then we can't follow God. And so Paul here calls his readers to decisively leave this world behind. Therefore. Come out from them and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. This is what Lorna was sharing about earlier, wasn't it? About the fact that you just can't live in both camps at once. God has called us to disconnect from the world, its standards, its belief systems, its lifestyles, its ambitions, its behaviour. And instead, dedicate ourselves to God as God's holy people. This is not about being a kind of super Christian or a kind of step up from just an ordinary Christian. This is just simply what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? To be the church, to be those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. As Paul says in his first letter to this church. God has set us apart from this world and to himself. And so he calls us to live out this reality in our everyday lives. And this requires us to remove from our lives anything that would pollute our minds. That would corrupt our behaviour. Or that would infect our hearts. The challenge he leaves with us in this passage is, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. If we want to honour our God, and, and per- our holy and perfect God, then we will want to get rid of everything that dishonours Him. And disrespects him. I don't know about you. But I think that's a tough challenge. I think that really. Cuts to the bone in my life. How do we live. In this world. But not like this world. If we really are committed to this. If we really are committed to living this out then it's going to have an impact on every aspect of our lives it'll impact the friendships that we cultivate the entertainment that we experience the teachers that we listen to the places that we go the, the activities that we enjoy and a whole heap of other things Now Paul, he doesn't give us a detailed list of all, of all those ideas. He doesn't give us a list of things to avoid. And things that we can accept. Because that could so easily pull us back into just living by the law. Living by rules and regulations. Pulling us back into the this, this slavery of legalism. And either the pride or the guilt that that brings. So this is not about imposing rules and regulations of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. You're going to search in vain in the Bible about what to do about social media directly. There's no rules about that. Or what what classification of films to watch. Or whether you should go to the, the movies or not. Or whether you should spend time in that place or what. And we've got no right to impose those rules on anybody. So, this is not about setting rules for us to impose on others. Rather, it's more about us individually working out what it means in our lives to live a holy life. What does it mean to live a life that is pleasing to God? What does it mean to live a life that is set apart from this world and set apart to God? And as we try and work that out, we'll need to depend on the guidance of God's Word. Take out those principles and apply them to our lives. We'll need to ask for the wisdom of God's people as we seek advice on how to deal with some of these really complex situations in this world today. I want you to depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us in our lives. This is difficult. But the benefits of being separate from this world are just so amazing. Did you notice these amazing promises in our reading? Verse 16. I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God. And they will be my people. In verse 18, I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters. Says the Lord Almighty. So separation from this world and dedication to God not only allows us, enables us to honour the one who loves us so much and rescued us with the precious blood of His Son, but also enables us to enjoy that closeness with Him. Intimate fellowship with God. The blessing of being able to come into the holy presence of the Lord Almighty. I've been able to run into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. So God doesn't want us to live bubble-wrapped from everyone else. doesn't want us to hide in fear and isolation. But neither does He just want us to develop relationships indiscriminately. Instead, God wants us to be connected to his people in open and authentic friendships to be separate from this world but not to be isolated from it so that ultimately we can enjoy close fellowship with himself as we live for him each day